Reformed Church. We don't have a, a whole lot more of the Temple series to go. We have maybe three, four messages to go uh, to finish this up. Um, but um, what I want to start out with, is, I'm, I'm going to basically give you a, a few points, and then we're going to put that on the shelf. We'll continue with the message, and then we'll bring that back at the end, and it'll make, it'll make sense at the end. Okay, so um, as we get into this, let's go to Romans 15, 16, and I'm going to show you... Um, Something I, I mentioned earlier in the um, series, but I'm going to just mention something here briefly that will tie into something later. Romans 15, 16. This is Paul speaking here, and he says, that I should be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. What, he, what I want to point out here is him preaching the gospel to people is called him offering up the Gentiles. Um, again, we're going to go over this at the very end as well, but when you preach to somebody, what this is saying here, he, he, he's giving this sort of priest and what we'll find out is a burnt offering symbolism here. He says that I should be a minister. He's actually referring to himself as like a priest. We are called kings and priests in the Bible, and this is uh, one of those reasons why we're called priests. Uh, um, it says that we should be the minister of Christ Jesus. So he, he, when he, he's talking about himself as a minister, he's actually referring to himself as a priest, which is why he, he then proceeds to say that when he gets the Gentiles saved, that he's offering them up as an acceptable offering to God. Okay? What we'll find at the end of this message is that he, the insinuation here is actually a burnt offering, and, and I'll explain that later. But um, I just want to show you that this ministering to people and getting them saved is, is offering them as a burnt offering or burnt sacrifice, okay? Let's go now to 1 Peter 2.5. Just going to give you a few verses here, like I said, and then we'll put it on the shelf. But 1 Peter 2.5, it says, um, You also, as lively stones or living stones, are built up a spiritual house. So obviously we know that well in this series, right? we are um, part of what the temple is made out of. On the exterior is stone. And he's saying you're a part of that stone temple. You are, this is a spiritual house, right? which may be better translated a house for his spirit. But that aside, he's talking about the temple here, right? So he set the context. We are living stones, alive and yet put to death by the Holy Spirit. In other words, given rest by the Holy Spirit. And we're built up a spiritual house. But then he also says a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So, similar verbiage here as to our previous verse that we just read. So, he calls us the temple and a priesthood. So, this is also going to be good for later. Tonight, we've got, uh, if you notice, these little guys here. we got our little priests here tonight with us here. They've actually been sitting back here the whole series, but they're a little bit, they're, they're at the forefront today. This is their, 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 their day in the spotlight today. So, uh, the priests here actually bear the same symbolism as the temple itself, when we're going to see that. And this verse proves that. We are not only the temple, the spiritual house, but we're also the, the priesthood. This is a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. When he says spiritual sacrifices, um, I'm not like um, uh, sold on this interpretation, but I would assume when he says spiritual sacrifices that he is referring to the same thing that Paul was talking about before, about offering up people, ministering to people. 
that, that um, just like Paul said, I'm a minister offering up the Gentiles, um, getting them saved and offering them up to God. Um, here, he also talks about the priesthood and says that we offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, which is what he just said before about the Gentiles, that they'd be acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Here he says that they'd be acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So uh, I'm going to leave that as an opinion right now, but I believe that he's talking about here the same thing that Paul was just referring to. Um, he goes on in verse 9 to just say that you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, kind of like kings and priests, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Uh, doesn't mean you're weird, just means you're different, right? And it says uh, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness. So that's another, it, it shows here that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Um, that's also, we, we went over this earlier in the series, that's also talking about that the role of the priest is to, to praise God in the hearing of people, to show forth his praises, to show how good the Lord has been to people and show them how he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you can still see the role here of a priest is that of ministering to people, right? Showing forth his praises here. Again, I, I went over that earlier in the series to prove that to you. Um, but going back to verse 5, offering up spiritual sacrifices, which I believe is the same thing as what Paul referred to before, offering up people. To, uh, to God. Um, this may or may not, you don't have to go here, this may or may not be applicable. It makes me think about Romans 12, where he says to present your bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord. Makes me think about that, but um, I'm just going to throw that out there as uh, sort of speculation. Um, I don't know if it's the same kind of sacrifice that it's referring to in Romans 12. I say that because there are different sacrifices in the Bible that mean different things, but I'll just go throw it out at you. Makes me think about that that as a living sacrifice, even as a believer, we are called living sacrifices, and we should present ourselves as such. In other words, we should, we should live that way, as a living sacrifice, which means at rest and alive by the Holy Spirit. We should live that way. But it does call believers, once you get saved, a living sacrifice. So interesting, right? Paul said that he was offering up the Gentiles when they got saved, and once we are saved, it calls us living sacrifices. So just, just something to note. The thing that I know for sure is in Romans 15, 16, Getting people saved is offering them up. That is, that is a hard, fast uh, thing that I know. So let's move on from that. I'm not going to read you a whole bunch of verses here, but it's important to know also that the word burnt offering, you can look at our glossary for that definition if you want the, the biblical proof of that. The word burnt offering actually means worship or thanksgiving to God. Um, that's actually what it means. And so um, there are certain details about this sacrifice, burnt sacrifice stuff that I'm going to share tonight that I'm still learning. I'm going to try to stay best I can with just what I know. But um, uh, burnt sacrifice, meaning thanksgiving or worship to God, this is essentially how I believe that it would uh, work. And that would be when you preach to somebody, they would represent like the animal itself, okay? Like in the Old Testament when they were offering up animals as burnt sacrifices. This is just where I'm at so far. I'll, I'll submit it that way. That they would sort of represent the animal itself, from what I see. And then the fact when they're burnt on the altar and that sweet aroma goes to God, that that would represent the point in which you got them to the worship of God now. Like you won them over, okay? Um, that, that's what it seems like in the Bible. Um, and this is why I think it would be sort of fitting for Paul to, to call the Gentiles his offering to God right? An acceptable offering to the Lord. And as we'll see as we go through, people getting saved are referred to as burnt offerings. And so that, therefore, I believe that's how it would work, right? You take 
You take the, the, the person, there's some steps that we're going to go over in a second, and then you offer them up as a burnt offering, and the Bible says sweet-smelling aroma, and that's like you've won them over. They're, they're, they're worshiping God now, and um, they're saved now. Okay, now they are part of the temple now as well, a living stone and a holy priesthood as well. You won them over. Okay, we're going to go through more of that. So let's put that on pause, put that on the shelf, as I said before. Now we're going to go over some stuff that, um, to, to, to start from the beginning on this. Okay, really, really cool stuff. So stay with me through this. Again, I'm going to change gears right now. So in part 14, I looked it up part 14 of this series. It was called The Weightless Yoke. I would um, encourage you to, if you want the whole picture, listen to the Wash My Feet series, because we're going to be referring to that tonight. Then you could listen to part 14 of the Temple series, which is called The Weightless Yoke. It's a continuation of the Wash My Feet concept. And then tonight is going to be a continuation of part 14. All right. If you already know what washing of the feet means and stuff, then you, um, you, you'll be good to go here. So, so just to explain a little bit about this, we know from what we've taught is that the washing of the feet, anytime you hear washing of the feet tonight, you can just equate that with the renewal of our mind, right? It's our mind being cleansed. Um, there is a washing that goes on for a believer, and it's not a washing of sin. The washing of the feet or wa being washed with water by the word, um, as Ephesians says, is not referring to us being cleansed of sin, but cleansed of wrong thinking. Your mind can be cleansed of wrong thinking, and that's what we're doing right now, right? We're all enjoying the Word of God. We're thinking about the Word of God. That's cleansing our mind of wrong thinking, reminding us of what's true, cleansing our mind of wrong thinking. The word feet in the Bible is in some way, shape, or form symbolic of our mind. And we went over that proof in the Wash My Feet series already, like a, quite a lot of it. So with that said, there is, um, just so that we're, that should bring us so far at least up to speed a little bit here, that's what the washing of the feet is. And that's why when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he told them, you don't know what I'm doing to you right now, but you'll understand afterwards. That means that clearly it was symbolic, right? Otherwise, they would have known what he was doing at the time. He said, you don't understand what I'm doing right now. I'm not just washing your feet. You'll, you'll get it later. And then he called himself their teacher, their Lord and their teacher, in relation to washing their feet, showing that him washing our feet means him teaching us, renewing our mind, okay? So you've got this bowl of water in the... Uh, 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 in front of the temple. Now, what we've been, what we're learning is obviously the whole, you know, I won't, I won't bring you, you know, I won't belabor this point, but the temple, because it's us, looks like a woman lying on her back, etc., etc. But you'll notice, right, because it resembles the, the woman lying on her back, as we've already been through, right, kind of like, you know, her head here, the, the place of conversation, her, her heap of a belly, pregnant belly, these uh, pillars represent her legs, uh, on the top here is referring to her knees, and isn't it interesting that therefore there is a, there's a bowl of water by the feet? It's at the foot of the temple that the bowl of water is. And that's, that just makes sense. Again, if you, if you understand the concept of washing of the feet, well, that just makes sense. Okay, yeah, the bowl of water is at the foot. That, this bowl of water represents the, 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 the temple getting its mind renewed, getting its mind prepared with the gospel. Okay, so you see that. That's a, that's, a, that's a clear thing that, man, I, I, as I said before, I can't recommend enough the Wash My Feet series if you want more information about this. So that's a thing. Um, but what we're going to look at here, uh, if you want to see the evidence for all the stuff that I'm about to say about this laver of water here, 2 Chronicles 4, 2 through 4. You don't have to go there or, or, or put it up behind me, but 
2 Chronicles 4, 2 through 4 talks about this laver of water here. And you, you can get more proof about that. So if the water is at the foot, that's further confirmation, in addition to what we've already spoken, um, that this is representing that same water that Jesus was washing his disciples' feet with. It represents the water of the word. The word of God cleansing our mind of wrong thinking. Okay? So once you've got that, then you go to the zoom in here on the bowl of water itself. What you see is, because if you didn't know, Jesus actually says in, in Matthew 11.28, you can throw that up behind me, Matthew 11.28, Jesus says to come to him if you're weary, if you're heavy laden, he's going to give you rest. And then in verse 30, he says to take his yoke, actually, it's, it's, it's verse uh, 29, he says, um, learn from me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. In King James, it says learn of me. You can go to New King James. It says learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. In verse 30, it says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So go back to verse 29 again. It said, Jesus actually says that the only, thing, the only yoke he wants us to take on our back, uh, yoke means service. The only service, the only thing he wants us to do is to learn from him. Remember I was just telling you before, right? That's all the Lord wants. He just wants to teach people now. He's already done everything. He just wants to teach people. So it makes sense. If Jesus has done everything for us, all he wants us to do is learn from him. And that's why he said that's the only yoke that he wants us to take on ourselves is learning from him. And if you do that one thing, you're going to actually find rest for your soul. It's the only thing you can do that's actually going to give you rest. Okay? Now, going back to this, though, isn't it interesting that you see oxen and they're yoked with something, right? What are they yoked with? Just the water of the word. That's the only thing they have on their back, right? Now, um, what is that water specifically? It's for the washing of the feet. We already said that. It's for the washing of the temple's feet. So you could say the only thing, because these oxen represent the people of God the same way that the temple represents the people of God. It, it's the same symbol. It's just sort of like a meta symbol. It's a symbol within a symbol. This bowl, if you zoom out, obviously, represents the washing of the feet bowl, if you zoom out. But then if you zoom in, you get more detail on that symbol specifically. Zroop, and God's saying, this washing of the feet that is going on with the temple is the only thing that I want her to take on her back. It's the only yoke I want her to take on. You got oxen, which means servant, and the only service they're doing is the water of the word, getting their feet washed. The feet washing water, the feet washing word, the mind cleansing word is the only thing they have on their back. And isn't it interesting, Jesus says learning from him, learning his word, is the only yoke he wants to take on ourselves. Very interesting, right? So this, we've already been through this in the past. But furthermore, uh, if you go to verse 30, Matthew eleven thirty, 30, it says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We also went over this in that, in part 14 of this series, that it's also interesting that the brass of all the elements on the outside of this temple, including the brass that this is made out of here, or the bronze that this is made out of, is literally said to be without weight. It says, and there, it, it actually, there, there's, a, there's a few verses for that. Um, one is 2 Kings 25, 16, but it says that all of these vessels were without weight. There's much more I can say about that, but basically what that means is the, 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 the oxen are, they have this yoke on their back, which represents the word of God. That's all they're doing. That's all they have to do now. Jesus did everything. All they have to do, the only thing they need to take on themselves is just learning from Jesus, hearing from Jesus, getting their feet washed. But the awesome thing is that Jesus says that when you do that, you'll find rest. It's a very light yoke. And meanwhile, it says that this was without weight. Obviously, I know physically it had a lot of weight. It had a tons of gallons of water in it, but it's saying that they didn't weigh it. Hence, God 
thought it right to word it that way and say, this is without weight. In other words, it's a very light yoke. Taking the water of the word on yourself and nothing more is a very light yoke. It's very easy to do. It's very easy to learn the true Jesus. Now, it's very hard to learn the wrong Jesus. When people are teaching Jesus wrong, that's stressful. It's, I mean, all the stuff you got to do. But if you're hearing the real Jesus who came and did everything for you because you could not, Romans chapter 8, that what we could not do, basically says what the law could not do, but that means our works. What our works could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son. That's the gospel. You can hear that, and it's very light. It's easy. Wow, okay, that's all i got to do is just learn what Jesus did for me. That's why you've got this weightless yoke of just foot-washing water, mind-renewing water, the word of God on those oxen. So that's all stuff we've been through in the past, but it's super important for tonight. All right? So that's what you see there. Um, furthermore, I'm going to just, I'll add this little layer on. You guys remember, too, that specifically the, 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 this is the temple, but there was a laver of water like this in front of the tabernacle. Like There was a counterpart to this laver of water in front of the tabernacle, and it was actually made out of the mirrors of the women of Israel. And it's interesting because the word of God is actually called a mirror in James chapter 1, for instance. To not be a forgetful hearer of the word, um, because it's like a mirror. It shows you who you are in Christ. And anyway, there's a lot we've said about that in the past as well. So it's just another layer of confirmation that this is, in fact, the word of God, just showing you who you are in Christ. That's all God wants to do now. You're already complete and full in him, as Colossians says in Colossians 2. You're already complete. You're already full. You already got the gold lined on the inside of you. The only thing God wants to do now at church, at home, at any point in time is just show you, wash your feet of all the gunk that you got in your mind, all the stuff that we just even went over before that you've heard before and all the lies people have told you and all the stuff people are still telling you. He wants to wash all that gunk off, get your mind all fresh and renewed, um, just showing you what already is. Not showing you what's to come, just in other words, in the sense of uh, accomplishments. Everything is already finished. He just wants to show you what Jesus already did and who you already are in Christ, hence the, the mirror bowl of water here. So with all that said, that's very, very cool. Here's the point with this that, that, that will um, sort of uh, set the tone for the time we have left of the message here. Um, Let's, let's go real quick to Ephesians 6.15. In fact, actually, you know what? John 13.14 first. Let's go to John 13.14 first. Um, this is the New King James Version. But I'll just tell you, after Jesus washed the disciples' feet, which we know represents the, 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 the renewing of the mind, the washing of water by the word, cleansing our minds by his word, after he washed his disciples' feet, guess what he says? He says, if, that's a big word there, if, if I then, your Lord and your teacher, see him call himself teacher in context of washing their feet, represents the word of God. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, if that happens, you, ought to, you also ought to wash one another's feet. That means teach one another, remind one another, encourage one another. But if I wash your feet. You see, getting your mind, what that verse means is getting your mind renewed, and you can put up, Ephesians 6.15 in the process. Getting your mind renewed, getting your feet washed, empowers you to wash one another's feet. As you get the input of the word of God in your own mind, as you receive the word of God and get encouraged yourself and see who you are in Christ, that is the empowerment that now you can wash one another's feet. Without hearing the word of God for yourself, you can't preach that to other people. It actually makes for effective ministry to other people when you get your own feet washed, you get your feet shod first, 
that prepares you to, to tell somebody else. That's why Ephesians 6 says that, right? It doesn't use the washing of the feet symbol. It uses a shotting of the feet, an armoring of the feet symbol here. Same thing if you, if you hear the Wash My Feet series. But it says, in having shod your feet, that's the same thing as washing of the feet. Because notice you put the gospel on your feet in this verse. Again, more proof here. When the gospel goes on your feet, what is it? It's preparation. It's preparation for what? To wash one another's feet. When you receive the word of God for yourself, that is by itself what makes for effective ministry to other people. So it's not two steps. It's not two steps. It's just one step. You receive the word of God for you. That's the only yoke Jesus said. He said, just learn from me. He didn't say learn from me and then you got to do X, Y, and Z and tell other people about Jesus and do all this stuff. That happens by the Holy Spirit automatically. When you live by faith, the Holy Spirit will live through you. But the only thing that you need to do, the only yoke you need to take on yourself is you learning for yourself. When you get your feet washed, if, 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 I then, your Lord and your teacher, wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. You see, it, 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 it's a chain reaction. It causes effective ministry to other people automatically. You don't have to worry about how effective you're ministering to other people. If you will go just gung-ho getting the word of God in your own mind, you will not be able to stop the Holy Spirit from ministering to other people. You simply can't. Any, let me tell you this, any lack that you see in ministering to other people is not a lack of ministering to other people. It's simply just more mind renewal that you need and more input of the word of God that you need in your own heart. The more fully you throw your heart in that direction of just learning and carrying that one yoke, the more effective the output is to other people. That's all you need though. It's not two steps, it's just one step here. Um, it prepares you to preach to other people. And this is actually the meaning of, notice that the oxen, um, are only carrying one thing. Is that one thing on their back, the ministry to other people? Are, is that their burden, the ministry to other people? No, it's just their foot washing, right? Again, if you zoom out, it's just the temple getting its feet washed. That's the only yoke. So ministry is not on their back. Them learning for themselves is on their back. You learn from me. That's what Jesus said. That's the only thing on their back. It's not a ministry yoke on their back or a manifestation yoke on their back or a bearing fruit yoke on their back. It's just learning from Jesus and getting my feet washed and getting my mind renewed from Jesus. If my Lord, my teacher, washes my feet, it'll empower me to wash one another's feet. And this is actually why only when the oxen, which represent the people of God, there's 12 oxen, which best I can tell, um, is used, at least I'll, I'll, I'll say that, it's used very frequently for the totality of the people of God, 12, Okay. Not saying that's the definition of it, I'm just saying that's how it's used a lot of times in the Bible. And there's 12 oxen here. And as the people of God take one yoke on their back, and that's their foot washing. Just wash my feet, Lord. Just encourage me, Lord. Just comfort me, Lord. Well, that's selfish. No, it's not selfish because that's what sets you up to minister to other people. If you don't get comforted yourself, you can't comfort somebody else. If you don't get encouraged by the Lord and don't get the word of God for yourself, you can't do that for somebody else. It's not selfish. It's how every single manifestation in your life spawns from there. You have to get this for yourself. It's the word of God that links you to all the manifestation he wants to produce in your life. But you'll notice as there's one yoke on their back, and that is to just simply receive the word of God, what's simultaneously happening? Notice that they're facing north, south, east, and west. That's all in that 2 Corinthians verse I gave you. It's actually, second, uh, excuse me, I said 2 Corinthians. If I said that before, that's wrong. 2 Chronicles 4, 4 through 5. Chronicles. 2 Chronicles 4, 4 through 5 actually says this, but... The, the oxen, when you take one yoke on your back to learn from the Lord for yourself, they are simultaneously facing every direction of the earth. 
throw up for me um, Mark 16, 15? Because what this is symbolizing here is they, 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 they're only doing one thing, but simultaneously when you do that, you are facing every direction of the earth. In other words, being prepared to go out into every nation and preach the gospel. That's what that, like you can see. They, 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 they're doing one thing, but in doing that one thing that is needful, listening to Jesus, they have that, that, that direction in mind. They have the, the um, expectation and the intention of going out and preaching that to other people because that's what it causes. And you can see here, Mark 16, 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world, north, south, east, west, and preach the gospel to every creature. And you can see that that's like, they're prepared. They're being prepared to do it. it almost, they almost look like, like, like racers at, you know, at the starting line. It's like, you just keep doing this to me, and it's just like, boom, it, 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 it's um, propelling me into the world to preach the gospel. But that's not their yoke. It's just the result of the yoke. It's the result of learning from the Lord for yourself. Okay? That, that is what you see here. Um, obviously, evidently then, if all of this is true, and it is, that all of this just prepares you um, to preach to other people, then of course, then there's only one thing you need to do then. It's just getting your feet washed. Um, let, let me just, if I have time, let me bring you to um, two verses here. 1 Timothy 4, 6. I'm just going to start reading it in King James. It says, if you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, he's talking to Timothy and telling them, if, if you preach these things to, to other people, you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto you have attained. You'll notice there that it says that as you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, and Timothy, as you preach these things as a good minister of Jesus Christ, it says, it says you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. You see that? It's your own being nourished up in words of faith and good doctrine that empowers you to put other people in remembrance of these things. It's something that happens automatically. It's so important to get the input. A lot of times we, we, we are compelled in the church for the output. The output of the word of God is stressed so much to many times a church full of people that don't even know the Lord well for themselves. And it's stressed so much. Uh, and ra rather than just stressing the input that is needed. And what I'm teaching you right now, that if you just get the input of the word of God into your own heart, that makes you an automatic, effective minister to other people. The, the only way to be able to put other people in remembrance of these things is for you yourself to be nourished up in this, in the gospel itself, for you to be nourished up. 2 Corinthians 1, 4. I was going to give you a little context to this passage, but I don't have time right now. 2 Corinthians 1, 4. It actually says, who comforts us, who, God who comforts us in all our tribulation. For a little bit of context, that tribulation is talking about persecution, right? Um, if you want more information about persecution and what that entails, um, you can uh, listen to our stuff online about persecution. Um, you don't have to suffer anything that Jesus isn't currently being, suffering in his glorified state today. Um, but whatever he is suffering today, for instance, like his reputation being tarnished and people opposing him, that happens to the Lord even in his glorified state at the right hand of the Father you will also go through. It's promised you. People will oppose you. But as Isaiah 54 says, they will surely gather together. In other words, people surely will oppose you. It's promised you as a believer that people will oppose you the same way they oppose Jesus. If they hated him, they're going to hate you. That's a promise. 
But Isaiah 54 gives context that most churches aren't giving when it comes to persecution. And it says, they will surely gather together, but they will fall for your sake. It's both. You're promised that they're going to gather together against you. <laughs> That's a promise. It's also a promise that if you believe the Lord and know what you're talking about here, they're going to fall for your sake as well. So that's how, that, that verse there, um, it's Isaiah 54, I think like verse 15. Um, that's how you teach Christian persecution. Anyway, so when he talks about tribulation here, that's what he's talking about. But notice he says that the Lord comforts us in all our tribulation or persecution here, that you may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. You see that? If you just get comforted by God yourself, you don't got to worry about the last person that you talked to about Jesus when you're just getting the word of God for yourself. You don't, because that's what you're going to look like. You're being set up to go out into all the world when you get the word of God for yourself. You won't be able to stop that manifestation of ministering to other people, and of course, any other manifestation as well. But you won't be able to stop the manifestation when you take that one yoke on yourself. You won't be able to stop it. You'll become a slave to it externally. You'll present your bodies as a slave to righteousness when you just take this one yoke on you. But notice it says that even the comfort that wherewith you comfort somebody else, it's coming from the comfort that God used to comfort you. Just get the word of God for yourself. You see what I'm saying? Like how important is it to just take this one thing on yourself if the very comfort that will come through you to other people is the comfort wherewith God has comforted you? So then get comfort from God toward you. Meditate on how God has loved you. Meditate on all these things regarding you. It's not selfish, it's that that's the cause of everything else. When you do that, if your Lord watches, washes your feet, then there's a washing of one another's feet that comes after that. But one thing empowers the other. Um, last little, quick little thing on, on, on this particular like, segment here. This is also why, you know, I used to be really, really concerned when I was younger. Um, the Lord would tell me a lot of things about ministry and me being in ministry when I was younger, when I was first starting to know, get to know the Lord. My, like, number one concern was, Lord, that I, um, like, I was learning so much, I didn't want to ever get into ministry and for that to ever hinder, like, my knowledge of the Lord, that I wouldn't have time enough to spend with the Lord or, or something like that. And I was very concerned about that. I would pray about that really often. Of course, the Lord always consoled me not, you know, the least of which being the fact that he is our shepherd, and we always have access to the truth, right? Um, and God would, of course, never call us to a ministry that took away somehow the time for us to input into our lives. As I just said, it's the input into our mind that produces the output to other people. Um, but I used to be very concerned about that. But the truth is, too, um, the reason why I was concerned, I didn't have to be concerned about it. The Lord is my shepherd, right? and I can count on him to teach me if I just will give him the time to do so. So I didn't have to be concerned about it, but, um, but my thing was just time, right? Like, I, I, I really don't want to get so involved in something that I don't have this input that I'm enjoying with you right now. And of course, that would never be the case as far as God's calling. But it's true, though. Sometimes you can get so concerned and bogged down with the output of ministry to other people that you don't leave time for that input. The Lord actually just told me recently something about, um, I write a lot right now, and just sort of, not corrected me, I don't think, I think it was more of like a warning about it, but he was just basically saying, whatever you write or minister is coming from the time you took to listen to me, so make sure like, we're still doing that. Everything that you do in ministry is built upon the time you take for that input, so make sure that you're leaving time for that. 
I tell you what, I, I, um, when it comes to the importance of getting the Word of God for myself, I'm not, I'm not perfect on that in my mind, but I'll tell you what, though. I am far more zealous, though, about that than I think a lot of, uh, a lot of teachers across the world are and a lot of Christians in general. The, 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 I was just thinking the other day, the second that I would ever say to myself, because of ministry, for instance, right? Uh, oh, I don't have a lot of time to spend with you, Lord. Like, I don't have a lot of time to invest in your word or learning from you. Man, like, when I even think about that, the second that ever came out of my mouth is the second I go home with a pad and a pen and write out all the stuff that I do in my day and start scribbling stuff out and I start making time in my day. A lot of times, the I don't have time thing is a lack of organization of time and not a lack of time. The same way that if you don't budget your money, you will spend things without realizing it. You, you just will. Like, you will, right? You, you, you can't know what you're spending unless you know what you're spending. Right? That should go without saying. But the same thing with your time. Sometimes you, sometimes you need to do that. And recently, that's you know, what I was thinking. Because like, that's not going to happen. Because you have to recognize the value of the Word of God in your own mind. That makes everything else fall into place. But sometimes we get so concerned about the output of that ministry or something else. You get so concerned about that that it actually takes away from the input of the Word of God in your own mind. And then you actually end up sacrificing the output anyway. Because the input, that produces the output. It's the Word of God in your mind that produces that output to other people. And sometimes, sometimes again, we, we will drive this home to people so hard, and uh, even in the church, with the output. Telling other people about Jesus, and we don't emphasize the input. And what ends up happening is people either get burnt out, or they try to output so much, they end up sacrificing the revelation of God in their own mind. And trust me, if you sacrifice the output long enough, you're sacrificing, excuse me, if you sacrifice the input in your own mind long enough, you're sacrificing that output. You're sacrificing your effectiveness as, as a minister. You need to make sure that God's ministering to you. Um, one more example on this, because I'm taking up so much time with this already, I might as well throw something else on the top here. Um, this is why even back in the day, I got very zealous about ministering and teaching to people that I would never go on a vacation. If my family went on a vacation, uh, like a family vacation or something, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. I would tell pastors, hey, I'll stay here, I'm going to cover for you, I'm going to keep teaching. The zeal to preach to other people is great, but I didn't realize that, well, no, that's not hindering your effectiveness as a preacher to take a break. It's increasing your effectiveness as a teacher sometimes to take breaks and just devote your mind to learning from Jesus without any output whatsoever. I'm not saying you do that all the time. I'm not saying, you know, just, you know, to be irresponsible or something like that. But now I go on vacations because I realize, okay, well, I need the input anyway. So if I can just take a break and get a lot of input more than normal, that's increasing my effectiveness, not decreasing it. So you kind of get where I'm coming from? It's so important to receive the word of God in your mind. And like I said, the second that it ever came out of my mouth that I don't have time to spend with the Lord or not much time, that is the second that I start making time. Just watch me make some time and pull it out of somewhere because it's going to come from somewhere. You have to have that kind of mentality when it comes to your time with the Lord. Like, this ain't happening. <laughs> One way or another, something's going to change. Um, and sometimes it is just managing it. Sometimes it is just managing it. I was literally just talking to someone about this. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's, sometimes that's all it is. Um, anyway, that's just kind of practical note. Let's end with, with, um, with this, this procedure here. We're going to pull that stuff about the priests 
and what we talked about in the beginning of the message, we're going we're gonna, to uh, draw on that right now. Okay. So everything with this, with this labor of water, we know it's the word of God. We know it's the washing of the feet water. It's the only yoke that the oxen are taking. Now, so you have this, broadly speaking, the temple represents us getting our feet washed, right? But remember in the beginning of the message, I showed you that verse where it said that you are a, not only a living stone in the house of God, in other words, not only are you the temple, but you're also the, the holy priesthood. So there are priests that work at this temple. They also represent the believers the same way the temple does. So they're the same symbol. It's a doubled up symbol. And to double up this washing of the feet symbolism regarding this laver of water, not only, excuse me, actually put, put that back, um, not only is it at the foot of the temple itself, right, these being the temple's legs, but also that's the laver of water that the priests, they make their debut finally, that the priests actually wash in. The priests wash in that water as well. And they actually wash their hands and their feet. The hand part, I don't know exactly. I know there are actually verses, for instance, in James, where he uses the word hands uh, together with the word hearts, but I don't have a lot of information on that. He's, he, he's talking to unbelievers at the time, but he says, uh, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, okay? It's not written to a believer there, but hands and heart, I, I, you know, I'm just throwing that verse out at you. But nevertheless, we understand the foot part. The priest, the, 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 the temple itself is getting a foot washing, but the priest also, um, it's also for the priest to wash their feet in, in this bowl of water. And, uh, this foot-washing water by both the temple and the priest, again, is their only yoke. It's the only thing we need to do. So that's a thing. Let me, um, if you want the scripture, I'm not going to bring you there. Bring you there. Um, let's actually just go to one. Let's go to 2 Chronicles 4.6. 2 Chronicles 4.6, and I'm going to have to wrap up pretty soon here. 2 Chronicles 4.6, and I am going to need a few extra minutes of your time because i got like actually five minutes on the clock right now, and... Uh, this ain't happening in five minutes, but it, 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 I, I'm ending here, but just not five minutes. Um, so just give me a couple more minutes, and then we'll end. So it says, um, he made um, ten lavers. So there's this one laver of water here called the sea, the sea, all right? Like S-E-A, the sea. And then there's also these lavers of water here that are on this side of the temple and also on this side. Ten lavers in total, five on both sides. So he says here, he also made 10 lavers of water. That's them. That's five of them. He put five on the right, five on the left, to wash in them such things as were offered for the burnt offerings they washed in them. So the priests don't wash in these, but they wash the burnt offerings in that water. But it says, um, but the sea, which would, you know, be this, the sea was for the priests to wash in, particularly their hands and their feet. In, in the book of Exodus, it says they washed their hands and their feet there. So... You've got two sets of labors, you, well, at least you've got one labor here, and then you've got the other labors of water here. This is for the burnt offering, and that big labor of water is for the priest to wash in. Here is the procedure. This is how the procedure went. Pay close attention to this, like I said, and I'm wrapping up. Exodus 30, let's skip down to verse um, 19. Exodus 30, 19. As I said before, this labor of water here, is in front of the temple, but the tabernacle, which was before the temple, had a counterpart labor made out of the mirrors of the women and all that. Uh, that was for the same purpose. It represents the same thing in front of the tabernacle. This is when they were first uh, building the tabernacle and stuff. And it says, for Aaron and his sons, that would be the priests, okay? 
So we're going to pull that up there. For Aaron and his sons uh, shall wash their hands and their feet thereat, referring to that labor of water. And when they go into the tabernacle, sorry, when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn, uh, to burn offering, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not, and it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout all gener- throughout their generations. A lot of stuff there, but let's just go back to verse 20. It says they have to wash their hands and their feet when they come near to the altar to minister. Here's the altar here, okay? This is the altar of burnt offering here. This is where they offer up the burnt offerings, and they burn them on this altar here as a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. What they actually have to do is, before they come up here and they burn the, the, the uh the actual burnt offering on here, the first thing that they have to do is they have to wash themselves first. They wash themselves in uh, uh, the water, the sea here, their hands and their feet, when they approach. And watch this. If you go to Leviticus 1.8, like I said, I am closing in just a second here, but Leviticus 1.8 explains, specifically it says, when they approach the altar to offer the burnt offering, they wash their hands and feet. And then it says, and the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, referring to the the, the parts of the animal for the burnt offering, the head and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar, but his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar to, a, uh, to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet savor unto the Lord. So here's what they're supposed to do. When they approach to offer a burnt offering, they wash their hands and their feet first, which obviously you guys already know what that is symbolic of. We took the whole message to do that. That's the renewal of their mind. We are the priests. That's them getting their own mind renewed. Then they take their burnt offering, which Paul said the Gentiles were his offering to the Lord. So this would represent another person, right? Again, I have more to learn about this, but generally speaking, this is, this is correct. They take the other person. They've washed themselves. Then they take the other person, and specifically, they wash its inwards and its legs. I don't have specific knowledge on this, but I know that our mind is called our inner man, and I also know the washing of the feet is um, a, a symbol of the renewal of our mind. And the fact that he says that the priests have to wash the inwards, okay, and the legs, specifically, of the burnt offering. It just sounds like the renewal of my mind, the, the renewal of the mind to me, um, in saying inwards, like inner man and legs, like the washing of the feet. Uh, I'll leave that alone, but I wanted to present that to you because this is the process. They wash their hands and feet, then they go and take the offering, and then they wash it after they've washed themselves. They wash specifically its inwards and its legs, and then they offer it as a burnt offering upon the altar after this. And we know that the altar of burnt offering represents worship. So if you kind of tie this all together, what this is literally saying is that the priests in washing themselves, let me say this, the priests can't wash the burnt offering. To offer the burnt offering as worship to God 
until they've washed their own hands and feet. And this is why it's so important to receive the word of God for yourself and just never stop learning what Jesus did for you. Never stop receiving that comfort from the Lord. And you have, you have to, this is very practical, but you need to make time to do that. It takes time to do that. It takes time to do that. Doesn't mean it's got to be all private time all day because you never get anything else done. The point is it will produce things and produce ministry to other people, but you need to make time for your own private time with the Lord to receive and, of course, meditating on it throughout your day. But the priest needs to wash himself before the burnt offering is going to get his inwards washed and be offered as worship to God. That whole process obviously just represents, in, in case I didn't make it clear enough, and we're basically going to stop right here, but you need to renew your mind as a priest that offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. You need to make sure your mind is just being renewed. Once that happens, that's your only yoke. That literally, I think it's awesome that the, 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 the labor of water that they are washing in is oxen taking one yoke, being prepared to go out. Like It's like the priest as he washes from that, that bowl of water, he, he's washing in a bowl of water that symbolizes, just do this and everything else will follow. That's what he's washing in. Just, he's there washing his feet. I heard that there was some kind of spout on this. That's not in the Bible, but regardless of how they did it. As he's washing his feet with this water, he's washing in a bowl of water that, that symbolizes, just take this one thing on you. Just learn from me and it's going to prepare you to go out. And what does the priest do right after he, he washes himself in the preparation of the gospel of peace? He's him, the oxen, the same symbol here. He washes himself in this, in the preparation water, and that's all he has to do because that's the only yoke God has given us is to learn from him. And as the priest is, quote, unquote, learning the word of God, getting his feet washed, what does he do right after that? He goes off and he takes a burnt offering and he washes his inwards and legs and brings them to the worship of God. He goes over here. They, that's, this is, these are the labors that they would wash in. You can see the proportion. These things are a lot bigger than they look. Um, he goes and brings the burnt offering. Right after he gets the preparation water for himself, they go right on over. They wash that burnt offering now. Now they've had their feet washed. Now they can wash one another's feet. Now they can comfort someone else with the comfort wherewith God has comforted them. Now they've been nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine so they can put someone else in remembrance of this. But it all stems from one easy and light thing of you just learning what Jesus, the awesome things he did for you specifically. The Lord is your shepherd. I kept saying that to myself recently, just getting my focus on off the ministering aspect of things, getting my focus on me and Jesus. And I kept saying, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. You know that any minister of the gospel, all they are is just someone that's getting ministered to. Any shepherd of the gospel is just someone that's getting shepherded for themselves. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And those priests, as they receive that, that, that water for their feet, that word for themselves, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is shepherding me. That's the only thing I take on myself. I'm automatically going to be prepared for ministry. I'm being prepared for everything that you want to minister to somebody else. I'm being prepared. I just receive it for myself. And immediately after they get that preparation water, they go right on over and they're able to wash somebody else. Wash them so thoroughly that then they get to bring them to a point of worship to God and thanksgiving to God. And people are saved. People are ministered to. People end up thanking God because of the word that you spoke to them. And 
all the, the only thing you were trying to do this whole time was get ministered to. That's why it's so easy. It's not a requirement to minister to somebody else. All of that stems from the input of God just ministering to you yourself. There's a lot more I could, I could say about this. Um, I'll end with a sort of a little bonus thing here, too. It's kind of, kind of cool that, um, and I, I, am, I am done right now, um, but it is kind of cool that, to show you the whole thing, as the priests go and get themselves washed, right, then they bring it over here to wash the burnt offering, which represents the preaching of the word of God to somebody else, right? Um, the preaching to other people. Simultaneously, you have these pillars here, which actually represent the works of power and miracles that God produces through us the fruit that God produces through us, to confirm the word that we're preaching to other people. As you, as you receive the one yoke and, and get to learn Jesus for yourself, as you preach to other people, in other words, wash them in the ten labors of water, as you preach to other people and wash your burnt offerings up to the Lord, God will simultaneously confirm your word, support your word, and testify with you with signs and wonders following to confirm the word that you're speaking. And that's actually why the two, the two pillars are, the names of the two pillars are Jachin or Jachin, and Boaz. And that means, if you put them together, it means in strength he will confirm. In strength he will confirm, literally by confirming your word with words of, works of power. That's actually how ministry goes. You receive, but again, the fruit of, or miracles is not on their back. The ministry to other people is not on their back. Them getting their own feet washed is the only thing they're carrying. It just produces awesome results, right? Nothing wrong with talking about the results. Uh, we should. It's just um, letting people know the easy and light task that God has given you to do. Um, it's not all those things. It's just, it's, it's so awesome, right? Jesus has been so good to us. He's so gentle with us. He knows um, that he already did everything, and therefore he just wants you to learn about it. That's it. All right. And just so you know, I want to tell you too that if you're learning the word of God, you are an effective minister of Jesus Christ. And you know, you can learn more, but um, God has qualified you to be a minister. It doesn't mean that everybody has to have a position, of a teaching position or something like that to finally validate yourself. If you need that, you shouldn't be in a position. Um, but you're an effective minister of Jesus Christ because God has put his word on the inside of you. The fact that you increase that and you increase the word of God, increase your intake to increase your output, that's awesome. But you are able to teach other people. You've got the goodness of the Holy Spirit in you, the knowledge of God on the inside of your mind. You're able to teach other people. You are. Do not doubt the word of God that he has planted in your heart. Every Christian has that. And I'm not talking about inside of them in their spirit. I'm talking about in your mind. You have the word of God in your mind. Of course, we want to do that all the more and learn, but you are an effective minister of Jesus Christ because you have received the word of God. You've been obedient to the gospel. Um, can I share one story with you? Yeah? You ain't going to say no, so it's kind of easy for me to ask you. I just, I just share this one story with you. I'm not going to pray or anything. So this is my prayer time right now, okay? That's going on right now. Um, just find some way to justify it. Um, I used to, when I started teaching the teens, I used to, to almost the point of tears, many times, driving home, I was so unhappy with my ministry to other people. I was, I was so discontent. I, and, and it was on one hand, feeling like I wasn't making my point right, feeling like I was just rambling, or feeling like I wasn't, from a communication standpoint, and also from like a shyness standpoint, in the flesh, I've never been like an outgoing person, and so I'm talking, and I mean in the flesh, I'm a very bold person actually, um, but in the flesh, that's just something that I was dealing with at the time, and I was like, you know, between shyness and between, you know, timidity, and then the not communicating, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, and Lord, if I'm not going to be able to, uh, my, my term at the time, if I'm not feeding your people, Lord, then I shouldn't even be in this position, and, and all this stuff, 
and um, I wanted to learn how to be more bold in speaking the gospel and more effective in doing it. And honestly, like, I thought there was going to be some secret to it. The Lord actually just brought me to the verse in 2 Corinthians where he says, uh, uh, I believe, therefore I spoke. And he just, I didn't know all the stuff I'm telling you right now, but he just basically turned my mind to, you believe me, you'll be able to speak boldly after that. Just believe, therefore you speak. You want to speak it better? Then just focus on believing me. It, it, it simplified it so much to me, and I, I, I wish I would have known this at the time as well, but you can get so frustrated with the output of the ministry of the Word of God in your life, or, or ministry in anything, ministering to people's physical needs, praying for someone for healing, or, or raising the dead, or anything like that. You get so focused on that stuff, and God has made it so easy for us. The Holy Spirit does that stuff. Like, stay in your lane. You know what I mean? Stay in your lane. You are not the fountain that's producing the fruit. You are not the one that produces the ministry of other people. You are the one that carries the light yoke. That's you. That's you right there. Stay in your lane. All the other stuff is not your business. The manifestation is the Holy Spirit's business. That, that's why there's a fountain there. And I said business, but what, however you want to say it, that, that's the Holy Spirit's business is, is bearing the fruit. That's not, on, that's not on the oxen. That's just on the Holy Spirit. Let the manifestation be the Holy Spirit and you do your thing. You learn from me. Everything's finished and everything's done and you have all completion and fullness on the inside of you. Just do your thing. Stay in your lane. And that's what the Lord told me at the time. And you know what? I still, I, I, I teach, I won't give specific examples. I teach and I, I leave and I'm like, man, I was flailing out there. Like I, I didn't know what I was saying or whatever. And, and it's like, you know what? I know I always have the respect of God anyway, but I also know, Lord, you know what? You do the ministering. I'm going to do the learning from you. Beautiful thing beautiful thing. Like I said, and God, even if you make a mistake, God respects the heck out of you anyway, because, because you have believed his son. We hope you enjoyed this message from Reform Church. If you have, please share this with someone else and help us get this uncommon truth out to the world. If you'd like to support this good news, you can do so at reformchurch.com slash give. Also on our website, you can take advantage of our free messages, articles, and even full discipleship courses. Start reforming your mind now at reformchurch.com.